Hey everyone, Andile Masugui here. I'm the Community Catalyst at Founders Factory Africa. And this is the Secret Source podcast where we open source that secret source. All right. Uh, we chop it up with ecosystem entrepreneurs, innovators, and area experts to distill what it takes to engineer tech startup success. And as usual, today we're rolling heavy with some dope guests. And that's because we're talking venture design and venture building. Ha! We could only, only deal with the best today. Introducing first, Marlene Hutton, who is Founders Factory Africa's Head of Venture Design. She's all about identifying and forming new business opportunities across fintech, agri-tech, and health tech. How's it going, Marlene? Hi, Ndile. Well, thanks in yourself. Fantastic. Sorry to tear you away from all that venture building <laughs> to do a podcast. I hope you don't mind. No, it's fine. It's, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> this is fantastic. Venture design must wait. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we also have in studio Pagamani Mbata, a.k.a. PK, um, who's transitioned from his product management role at Founders Factory Africa to being a product manager at the health tech NGO Triggerize. Welcome. Welcome. Hey, how's it going, brother? We are fantastic. But you've moved on since then. Yes, I have. Can't keep still. Yes, what are you doing these days? I'm currently with King of Global Contracting, helping a few insurance companies in South Africa build some value-added services within the digital space. Oh, he's consulting. Here we go. Okay, ching ching. <laughs> okay. Last but not least, hello and welcome to Nzwisi Sachidembo, a.k.a. Nzwi who is the founder and CEO of blockchain analytics startup called Risk Block. Don't get it twisted. It's not Block with the CK. Why would you do that in, <laughs> in this new world? It's Risk Block with a Q. Welcome, Zui. Andele, how are you doing, brother? I'm fantastic. Listen, before these Web3 stories of yours, ne? you are our colleague at Founders Factory Africa, right? Oh, yeah. Head of engineering, bro. Do you miss it? To be honest... Not necessarily. You're onto more exciting things. He's being honest. This is this is where we don't front the folks. We give them, we give it to them straight. I love that you're loving what you're doing more than what you're doing before. Uh, definitely, definitely, it's a thrill. You're still at the office, to be clear. So that's correct. Yeah, I mean, we still, you know, I, I often park next to your car in the car park, and you still sit where you used to sit. It's all very strange, but great. <laughs> all right, so folks, a lot more about how it is. Someone goes from head of engineering in our team to a founder of their own business, but still building out of our office. All coming up, all coming up. Before we get into it, though, we're going to break the ice. We're going to get everyone loose by playing a fun rapid fire version of Would You Rather. Okay, you guys know the drill. All you have to do is tell us what you would rather do when I pitch some scenarios. Are we all ready? Do I have your consent? Oh, yeah. Yes. Let's go. Okay, PK for a moment there. That, that yes came late. Uh, but you're, everyone's in. <laughs> All right. Well, Marlene, we'll start with you, okay? Would you rather travel back in time to meet your ancestors or to the future to meet your descendants? Future descendants. Why? Because I'm a futurist. Oh, I like it. PK, would you rather never be able to go out during the day or never be able to go out at night? Never go out at night. Why? I think um, being a spiritual person, I absolutely understand the energies that one kind of gets in touch with in the dark. So I'd rather not go out in the evenings. I love light. So love, light and happiness. Oh, brother went deep there. All right. <laughs> Would you rather hear the good news first or the bad news first, Nzi? Bad news first. Why? 
I think it's 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 always amazing and good to 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 end on a good note. Mm-hmm. One can put their 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 head in a good framing to actually deal with any challenges from a bad news perspective if their mental framework is is in a good place. All right. So Malini, your flight crashes on a deserted island. Would you rather be rescued from the island or never found again? Rescue, definitely. Okay. I'm not going to ask you why. <laughs> I think most listeners will will, will agree. And then, uh, PK, would you rather detect every lie you hear or get away with every lie you tell? Get away with every lie I tell. Okay. We are not going to judge you for that response. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's round it off with you and Zui. Would you rather be able to walk through walls or fly? Fly. Okay. We'll leave it there. Those were some interesting revelations. I hope it doesn't affect your business prospects. I'm joking. Of course it doesn't. Thanks for playing, guys. (laughs) Thanks for playing, guys. Now on to the main event. We're actually talking thematically today about venture building and I suppose to some degree the models that support it, the things that certainly the three of you have learned in, in being venture building support proponents, but also in, in, in light of Nzui being a founder prior to joining Founders Factory Africa, but also now again being a, a startup founder, what it looks like to to build as a founder, what it looks like to be a founder, a pre-launch founder in the case of Mal and what you do. And then of course, like PK, you've been all of these things or there or thereabouts here and there. What motivates your move, Nzui? Let's start with you, with, you know, from being that support player in a team like Founders Factory Africa, where we invest, we build, and we accelerate ventures. What got you thinking, hey, I actually want to be in the trenches as a founder and now a recipient of the support we provide because you're in our build program? So I think the first question to, to ask is more so why it is I was part of the team in the first place. And it's, it's more so because I had a question. That question was around how to build businesses that scale. This, this was a question that came about through the experiences that, that I, I had prior building businesses within the family, just seeing failures left, right and center, but also seeing half successes. So businesses that just survive, but don't necessarily thrive. And, you know, through, through that experience, started getting this question of how does one really build a business that that scales drastically and quickly and so through through that question that's how i ended up firstly at, at founders factory africa but through learning processes at founders factory africa i got to that point where where i thought wow i think i've learned quite a bit of this process of how to build businesses that scale quickly and I need to I need to experiment. I need to try it out to see if indeed I can also succeed. Mal, watching Nzui go from a colleague and fellow venture builder, actually venture designer, because you would have collaborated as both, right? And perhaps this is a, a indirectly a way for you to explain to the world what it is you do at Founders Factory Africa. But what what's it been like watching Nzui transition from that and now being part of the team that, you know, thinks about how do we help a founder like him win? Venture building as a practice, essentially, really is about an approach to building new businesses or new products. And at Founders Factory Africa, we do it in two ways. The one is venture design, which is where I play. And venture design is really 
applying a design lens to creating new products and services. So we generate ideas, we conceptualize them, we validate them, and then we hire in a founder or we help startups scale or succeed essentially. And in Zui's case, it's also like, you know, we get founders in that either have a business idea or they have a fully developed idea that they just need some support to move it from, you know, zero to launch or from a vision to launch. So that's kind of what we do. And seeing as we make the transition from being an advisor to these startups and helping them in their growth phase to actually being entrepreneur an entrepreneur in his own right is a testament to the types of skills that staff at Founders Factory, I guess, get the opportunity to um, learn the process and then be able to apply it in their own context. There's one facet of that which you've left out, which is a hybrid of both processes, which is a founder with a great idea, but also lacking the finesse and the know-how to, to craft that into an idea an investment committee would accept or a venture builder like us with the means to helping them build it out, you know, there's there's often there's often a gap in even some of the most talented founders in in crafting and packaging an opportunity that translates to other people as let's back that. Right. So there's a version of that which is also part of the a venture design hybrid process which you're involved in, yeah? Yeah, and it's something that we're thinking about and something that we're wanting to test a lot more. But it is kind of looking at the process steps that we have defined that is conducive to this environment. And um, borrowing from lean methodology as well as design thinking and human-centered design principles and coming up with a process that we believe aids in the validation and experimentation of a concept and idea so that you're able to move it along on that journey, that start early stages of the startup journey. And that part is so valuable for an entrepreneur because it's not as simple as just coming up with an idea and launching it into market. If you build the correct foundation, you're then able to use that foundation to scale that business. And that's what we offer. PK, I know you're really passionate about founders and you know startup teams learning from their customers or potential customers conducting market research, gathering insights, something you feel very strongly, most founders, who many of whom are really passionate about the ideas and maybe even intuitively understand the gaps they're trying to address. It's, it's, it's something they don't always value as much as you wish they did. Most certainly, most certainly the case. I think building the right product is not necessarily having the right idea. Building the right product is essentially about having the right information, validating some of these assumptions and the information that you've gathered through experimentation, as Melanie has shared. And in order to do this or successfully do this, for me, what I've found is that following like the double diamond design process really works exceptionally well. The reason for this is that even when you're building products through this double diamond process is you have a very clear and a very clear understanding of the environment for the people for which you're building the products for. That gets you really in touch with how your product should live and exist. You have to have a very clear understanding of the exact problems that your people actually are experiencing and how they're currently solving for that, right? 
And this ensures that your product, to some degree, when you start building it and you want it to succeed and it has scalability, it actually reaches product market fit. So having a very clear understanding, building and gathering the insights that are required, very much important, specifically for the successful implementation of every product. We've seen many great ideas come through with different founders, but those businesses never succeed purely because we build products based on our educated assumptions, leap of faith assumptions that we never test, that we never gather information, or even if we do, we actually never leave the room. You know, we look for an agency that we assume has access to the right people. You know, there's many studies that show us that there is lack of access to to the right markets, specifically emerging and mass markets. And you'll find that most of these are great ideas that are coming up, specifically meant to address problems in with, within those areas. And we found that many agencies don't access, actually have a part, like don't have their finger on the path specific to those markets. So I would most certainly encourage uh, founding teams, founders of any startup or anybody with an idea to actually go out, engage with people, see how they go about their day-to-day -day specific to the product or the idea that you essentially have. And that will essentially give you very clear or define very clear problem statements on the things that you need to be solving for. We'll share a link to the double diamond approach that you, you're referencing in the show notes. Definitely worth checking out for anybody who's who, who wants to sort of tap into the, the, the details of what you've just sort of glanced at. But we, while at Founders Factory Africa, fleshed out conceptually why risk block should exist and took, you know, I suppose the baby steps towards its existence, landed like a first major backer. And then at that point, of course, having kept all of us abreast or as many as you could have with, you know, while you were in stealth, abreast of that process invited us to be a part of it. And so I wonder, we heard Mal talk about a design process that preempts perhaps the existence of a a fleshed out concept. And now we're also hearing from PK this idea of steps you need to take even once you have a concept to validate it and grow it into a fully fledged product with product market fit, right? Where is risk block at this stage? If, if those are the two sort of imaginary milestones that we've just created in this conversation, where would you say risk block falls and, and, and what have you learned in sort of traversing between them? When I think about it and, and I think about the support that the team has provided, in the early days when, when it was still more so an idea, we began sort of this, this journey of customer discovery. But the whole idea was not to overdo it, but to do it to a certain level for us to be able to validate for that specific moment and for that specific time where the concept was was actually developing. And so leveraging the information and insights that we're able to gather at that moment, we're able to go through the packaging. You spoke about packaging, uh, which is something that's super critical for packaging that uh, that concept, getting it ready to, 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 to be basically consumable by investors. And once that process was done, this is now where we are right now, where we are going into further customer discovery, really going into the depths and fleshing out exactly how different customers will interact with the product, the environment that uh, those, those, those customers operate in, what they would like to see, where their pain points, where the value proposition is, and really starting to build a more robust product. Whereas before, 
were more so building a proof of concept to just more so uh, validate our initial hypothesis. Uh, so that is that is where we are now, where we are really having long discussions with 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 our target audience and starting to to learn some of the drivers and 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 some of the motivation around their behavior towards the problem that we're trying to solve. It occurs to me that in Zui Malini, there's a distillation of the research component that should preempt, you know, the, the validation of a concept, right? Which is a big part of the work you do, right? And when I say in Zui, I mean, he had leading into the creation of Risk Block live experience in the Web3 space. He's an active investor in his personal capacity. He's vetting opportunities in the Web3 space uh, on behalf of our company, you know, vetting them for soundness of infrastructural integrity, as well as, you know, being roped into discussions about whether or not they might make actual money, not just, uh, you know, are they, should they exist? There's obviously mistakes other founders are making that he he's observed over time. We I think this is part of what you were talking about about what brought you to Founders Factory Africa in the first place. And I wonder how you compress that into a research practice that has to happen in a fairly you know compressed amount of time in order to yield a result, which is a concept which you pitch to an investment committee that decides whether or not Founders Factory Africa should build this out or not. How do you compress all the experience Zui has been gleaning over the years? He's been at Founders Factory Africa as a founder before that, watching his dad be a, a founder and entrepreneur and distill that. And, and then obviously, I know you were also part of helping him package the opportunity which he's a part of the packaging, obviously, the appeal of a founder like Nzui being, you know, at the helm of something like Risk Block, obviously very appealing. So I know you are a part of framing that. But yeah, it's a very long question just to give context to the listeners who might not otherwise understand what you do. How do you compress that research that's taken years to distill into this moment for Nzui into a matter of months? which is what you literally do. And then a few months from there, you literally have a concept that's being accepted into YC or something crazy. <laughs> so, yes, it's an interesting question. And I think that, you know, what PK has highlighted in terms of the double diamond approach, what Nzui has, you know, indicated around his process of distilling information and learning throughout that process is a combination of what we do at Inventure Design, essentially, or in the first stages. It's the same process that you apply in the beginning as you would as you mature through the startup journey. The key thing is that it's an iterative process. And the businesses that typically are set up for success are the ones that follow the process, but also iterate and continuously um, learn from what they insights there they are gleaning so it's this premise of bold measure learn continuously what we do in this very early stage is you look for very key insights that will inform whether there is some sort of opportunity size so like a large enough opportunity size that you're willing to go after. There's a sizable problem that you really want to tackle and that you know that there's a recipient at the end of it. And also there's a real need for it in the market. I think that what we do in these early stages is try to hit certain milestones that say, one, we've validated that there's a, a huge problem and that we are able to technically build a solution for it and that also it will be commercially viable. So at that early stage, the level of information that you're gathering is to show that there is something there and there's some signal in the market that says this concept could be a viable concept to build. 
And what sort of methods are you using at this stage? Are you are you speaking to people? Are you, you know, is this desktop research? During the COVID period, it was very much centered around desktop research and online type interviewing of experts in the space to inform some of our initial assumptions or hypotheses. As PK mentioned as well, like you actually need to get in touch with your user groups. So getting out there and really interviewing people, doing ethnographic research and those types of things are really key in terms of informing some of these hypotheses. So we use a combination tool as well. It starts with desktop research, then it starts with speaking to a lot of people, experts as well as potential users and our core corporate investors as well at Founders Factory's case. And then we take all of that information, synthesize it, and then it feeds into building a stronger concept. I know Nzwi and his wife, Michelle, you know, at some point, this was a conversation across the kitchen table and, and then it becomes more and it's like, what are we learning from investing in, in, in Web3? And then suddenly it's, it's a concept big enough to start to maybe, you know, share with some friends over lunch at work, you know, then it transitions into more. And of course, there's obviously some more tangible stuff where it's probably late nights since we where you're, you're you're speaking, taking calls with people across the world or at other parts of the continent or um, getting up early in the morning to do some desktop research and speak to some people. But then, Mal, am I right? That's it's it's all of that, but it's just compressed into like a couple of months. <laughs> and then you have this and then you you are essentially the founder that pitches into an investment committee that says to you, Mal, as the founder of this business we agree with you this should exist is, is that right is that a fair distillation of the process yeah that's a fair description of it it's not easy but i mean we sounds glamorous <laughs> it does it does it sounds it sounds pretty cool it is cool but it's it's a lot of I guess, distilling of a lot of information, being able to process a lot of information quickly and find like the next step out of that. So yes, it's daunting acting as the entrepreneur up until the point where you go to an IC and you are pitching as the entrepreneur and you have to convince a lot of key stakeholders that you believe and they should believe that this concept could become the next unicorn. Yeah. And that, that packaging aspect also a big part of it. Exactly. So as any entrepreneur would go through those beginning phases, that's the phases that we go through in terms of distilling what that concept could look like. I mean, your run rate's insane. So you come up with these concepts, a lot of them get approved. The real success, I mean, I intimated that the success is like ending up in YC. That's not the apex of success. The apex of success is these become live companies in the market with actual customers making money on their way to being unicorns, right? At that point, PK, you know, you are now asking questions like, are we making something people want? And are we iterating that into something they love, right? So how, how do you think about you know, post the process we've just discussed, the product build. How do you how do you frame that for for yourself and for founders you you support? Yeah. So firstly, I think in the build space, you definitely need to be also part of the product design phase. I think that ensures that you've got a very clear background of the problems that you're essentially trying to solve for. What then that helps you with is being able to essentially draw a very clear picture of what a potential minimal viable product looks like, right? Which means what's the most immediate need that we could solve for with minimal effort required from dev and that could essentially help us solve a problem. As Melanie said, it was solve a problem, financially viable, 
and technically feasible to essentially build within a short period of time. So you talk about product design happening in three months, building an MVP should equally take maybe a shorter period than that because you essentially want to build, measure and learn. And as part of that, then iterate the process because the learning doesn't stop in building product, right? In the build space, it's a lot of iterative process in terms of getting feedback, fixing, changing, and potentially even based on the feedback that you get, you potentially even pivot as to what we should be building, right? Because in the same sense or in the same breath of understanding the problem, and as you close your first diamond, now we know what we want, which problem we want to solve, there's the opening of a new diamond, which is what does that solution look like? And even though we build an MVP, how we solve for the problem might have multiple ways. And you quickly want to learn which is the best way of doing that. Within the build space, those are the initial things that you really want to do and quickly do in order to essentially learn and make sure that you're building the right thing. I'm just reflecting on everything you all are saying and realizing that as an entrepreneur myself, you know, a quasi-journalist turned media owner, a lot of the things I have chosen to build, entrepreneurially or otherwise, really not couched by this sensibility. You know, there's there's usually a head off thinking about whether this is technically feasible and whether this is a, a financially viable idea, never mind one that might build into a unicorn size. Usually where ahead of that is going, this must exist, this matters, which I, I think there's, there's um, I'm not knocking myself when I say that because I do think we need people building that way. But I know, you know, because I'm, you know, I've been your colleague and, you know, I've had a front row seat to the story that you've built an interesting intuitive grasp of how to think about all those three things while you build in a way that's really interesting to pick apart on a show called Secret Source, because it's like, that's really what's going on with this, with someone like you. You have this grasp of like, technically what's, what matters and, you know, architecturally and what's feasible and what, you know, what to sort of test and iterate and how to quickly like even build a, from a technical perspective, uh, an appropriate MVP to test stuff. But you also have a very sound sense of what investors want. You played on the VC side of things when you vet projects. And then you obviously want to build in a space you believe in, you love blockchain and Web3, but it's it's kind of like a rooted idea. Is it fair for me to say this? And when you hear me say that, play, playing that back in your head, what are the things that you'd love an, a listener right now to, to not oversimplify about how to come to a proper appreciation of those things? From my side, I think one of the things that was a question to me was, is, is it a process that can be learned? And... Through, through the experience at, at Founders Factory Africa, from day one, I was, I was documenting my learnings to try and prove out if, if it is indeed a process that can be learned. And through that experience, I, I quickly started picking up that indeed, it's a process that one can learn. So pause. That says something about the kind of person you were, at least from a student perspective or lack of experience perspective. Who wasn't we as a fledgling founder wannabe when you arrived versus the guy who, who who's here now. So I just want to get a sense of like what those what's in those notes, bro. <laughs> the student me was more so, I guess, an entrepreneur who thought that building a scalable business and building a unicorn was was more so luck and chance, being at the right place at the right time. Connections maybe even. Exactly. But the, the student, I'm still a student, but uh, <laughs> the student afterwards is one who now realizes that indeed there are 
there's timing that's important. There are processes that are important to activate at a, at a certain time in order to, to basically build a business and keep the momentum growing. Learning when those different cogs come together, I think was the critical point of just knowing when is the right time to activate a certain activity in order for it to have the most impact. Okay, so when to flesh out an idea, maybe from the point of view of what it looks like on paper versus like bomb out a bunch of code. And also know when to bomb out a bunch of... You're nodding because <laughs> people can't hear you nodding. But, but <laughs> yes, yes I, I, I agree with Is that, that what you mean? That sort of thing? Yeah. So, so, so I'll give an example. The student me right at the beginning. Let's call him the wannabe. The wannabe founder. The wannabe founder would have uh, started from day one and built out a complete solution. Really exercise those coding skills, right? And then go to the customer and say, and just drop it off and say, hey, please come on board and give me your dollars, right? But uh, it's it's not so. Now it's it's more so about learning the key stakeholders to package that product together, speaking to those key stakeholders, knowing their learnings and their perception, and then bringing those learnings into the concept itself and starting to iterate, as it's been mentioned, into building an actual business using those learnings. So in a way, they are always micro pivots. That's, that's what I've, I've, I've picked up in, 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 in how one is building out, just bringing in those different learnings from either experts, investors, or potential customers into, into building a, yeah, a great business. And Malini, you, I, I love that you're honest about how hard that process is, like the venture design process. And one of the things I want people to know about what it's like being your colleague is you field some of these emails from Mal going, fam, there are things I need to figure out about this concept I'm building out. Because like any founder, one of you founder, you can't possibly know everything. And so I think one of the oversimplifications maybe of what, you know, talking about, oh, how amazing it is that Malini can compress this into three months is you're tapping on the live expertise of a team of 40 plus area specialists, like an Zui, like a PK, like an Andile, like, like literally depending what you're building, you're pinging into live entrenched expertise as well as validating ideas or researching the market. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like Nzui said, like the biggest risk you run is like trying to build something in a vacuum and not being able to speak to other people. Because if you're building something with your own point of view, you're not the only customer at the end of that. So getting all of this data is rich in informing like how you actually build, how you set up your business and how you're going to take it to market. Because you've incorporated all of those insights along the way, you know that there's going to be recipients or willing users at the end of that. That venture design process for you actually takes three forms, right? There's a version of this, which is you fleshing out a concept fully with all this insight from the market and and, a, and an excellent team, if, even if I say so myself, uh, <laughs> which I do. Um, and then you flesh out that idea, and then we go looking for a driven founder to enthuse in, in running this thing. It's been approved by our investment committee. They love it. They say, go ahead, Founder Factory Africa. Go find someone incredible to come and you know turn this into an incredible success. Mm -hmm. Then there's 
what's happened with Nzui, which is in this case, someone in our own team with an, with a great idea, almost mostly fleshed out, but maybe just needing the, the, the last finesse that makes it palatable to an investment audience that will, that will enable it to take launch. And then third, there's someone who's in the middle there who might have a concept, a great founder with a concept where they meet us in the middle. Or sometimes we have a concept that we're still fleshing out and we find someone else to rope in, to flesh it out into something great. And we put it out. So a company like Triplo might be an example of that where together our team and this incredible founder named Victor, the founder and CEO of, of Triplo would have worked with us, right? Have I covered the bases? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what the latter is what you speak of is the co-creation model, which we bring something to it. The founder brings something to it and we create a venture that we all believe could be venture backable. Absolutely. PK, do you miss being at Founders Factory Africa? <laughs> He's thinking, why did I leave? <laughs> no, seriously. No, I mean, what, what's, what's the biggest thing you took away from your experience that maybe is, uh, perhaps has continues to hold true or like hold you in good stead as you've gone to do all these amazing things post, post being a, a part of our team? So I think before I can answer that question, it's critically important to also highlight why I joined Founders Factory. Right? Ah, I like it. That's that's a good one. Firstly, how long ago did you join and, and when did you leave? I was with Founders Factory pre-COVID. Okay. And left Founders Factory post-COVID. Okay. So I was there during a very interesting time. But for me, I think I like to believe that I'm entrepreneurial at heart. In the, in the same breath, all these methodologies that I speak about, the processes I've used in different kinds of businesses that are not even tech specific, right? Travel agencies, selling weaves, what people would call in the streets. Are <laughs> Sorry, hustler. I heard weed. But okay. <laughs> no, a weave. Uh, like Marlene weave. heard weed. We all heard weed. <laughs> <laughs> weaves, weaves. Um, that's the hair you buy. Hair, yes. So for me, I think being, uh, being an entrepreneur at heart and then having the skill set from a learned point of view where I've got this product build kind of learned um, experience, skills and expertise... I then had a vested interest joining Founders Factory. And I think being there also realized that being a lead did not necessarily mean that you're an entrepreneur. Because in my continued conversations with Victor, he still has sleepless nights. But when I left the office, I'd go to sleep, essentially, right? So what I did learn was essentially that being a lead and being able to transfer skills, mentor and coach, founding teams and founders did not necessarily make you an entrepreneur. And I think for me, it built a hunger, you know, to potentially one day build my own tech startup, which is something that I've already started, you know, working with other ex-colleagues from Founders Factory. Okay. All right. <laughs> we see you, fam. Yeah, but also, can I just say, this is part of the missional aspect of our model, which is to capacitate an, uh, an ecosystem with the talent and, and, and resources and expertise it needs to to thrive. So I just want to be clear on that. That it's not like we're not sitting here going, "Fam, don't what happened? Like we miss you. Like we love you be doing great out there. We love that story." Correct, and I think it's 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 quite a great story to tell. We just recently saw Ted Cavell putting out a story about some ex-Stripe employees who are now just founders. You know, exceptional founders of exceptional tech startups. And I think we'll definitely be seeing a lot of that as well with some ex-FFA colleagues as well. It's already happening, it's literally. Actually, literally, it's already it's happening. It's already happening. Yeah. Charles Nzui, mm -hmm. myself, Nicole, you. Yeah. So having being part of FFA really just um, was a trigger and a catalyst towards being in a firstly in a space where I could. Im, a kind of affect Im, an impact within the ecosystem 
but also personally the 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 interest in helping others through technology so i continuously say that i want to solve socioeconomic issues through technology and not necessarily south africa but across africa in that regard but i think i got more hungry for that and solving problems as a result of being a founders factory africa Hmm. And hey, who knows? I might be back if you guys are doing some impact listen, work. Um, so hey, listen. this is a family. Now, you don't you you leave the organization, but you never leave the family. <laughs> In episode one, uh, Nicole actually reminded me that I joke, half joke, that the only way out is in a body bag. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. There's now two episodes in a row where I'm uh, dropping a very dark joke about a very real thing. Oh <laughs> no, uh, no, no, but we love it. And so what is the most valuable takeaway from that experience, from your Founders Factory Africa experience, FFA experience that you now day to day in your being an entrepreneur and a live support proponent for other founders still go, all right, guys, I picked that up while I was doing my thing at, at FFA now this 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 works so i think for me it's the insights gathering you know the gathering information to better build a very clear value proposition and that goes to to this particular line that i think founders with it still exists within the founders factory africa family which is building the right products the right way that you can take an any area like i still use it till today and and then distilling what actually what what it means to actually building the right product that encompasses the three the three things that we're talking about again you know understanding the problem the technical feasibility and also the commercial viability of your the thing that you're building and it it, it encompasses all, all three of those so it's it, this is a point that Malini and we made in passing, you were making other points, you know, early in our conversation, but it's this idea of packaging, this idea that you can have a really well-researched concept, you've you've checked on the market, you've checked yourself whether this should exist, you pinged into a knowledgeable bunch of folks like we have at Founders Factory Africa to sort of sense check everything, you've built this into a robust concept and vision for something that should exist. Now the question is, how do you translate that to an audience? In our case, an investment committee that includes, you know, folks from Africa's largest bank, Standard Bank, a very successful healthcare group, Netcare, a family office we formulated as a foundation, very serious investor, you know, a small foundation, and then a room full of venture building specialists from Founders Factory Africa, all trying to decide, do we back this idea with our venture building hands-on support with our money and with our enthusiasm and time? And, and leveraging our brand. So packaging comes into play. And Zui, you touched on how sometimes this is as much about the story you tell, how you present things to the right people at the right time. Of course, you know, successful startups aren't just about whether or not, you know, you know somebody, unless of course you built WeWork. Yeah, that's shade, in case you're wondering. But, but, <laughs> but seriously, there is something to how things are packaged and the stories told and, and how things are presented. That is a big part of the venture design process and pitching a, a company that ends up landing investment. Right, Malini? That's correct. And I think just to add on to that is that the reason for that is that at this early stage, there's so much risk associated to it. So it's really like, what's the appetite of the investor that we're pitching to? And have we given them sufficient data in terms of almost like 
ticking the boxes of, you know, is there sufficient data to support that this is a problem? And we go back to the three things that I spoke about, desirability, is there a customer, feasibility, technically feasible, viable, viability is commercially viable. And I think once you've kind of painted the picture or you've created the narrative around that, you then look to that investment committee to see what you're seeing in terms of the opportunity for this to become something big. And that's the ask at that stage, is to believe in the vision of this and that it could become a unicorn, we hope. And this is one of the things I find most edifying being part of the team, just having you bring things at that stage to me and go, okay, this is the story we need to tell. How do we get this finessed? It's it's it's, it's a deck format, it's handouts. It's thinking about what's the room going to be like? What's the, you know, who, who's there? What do they like to hear? What do they need to hear to make a great decision? And so I wonder how you've thought about this since we so far, right? You'll have the final word in our <laughs> conversation today. Like, how have you thought about how you package yourself and this idea you're building out in light of how really great ideas often go unnoticed or unbacked and sometimes really sort of poorly framed ideas, well packaged and properly timely pitched get some love i feel like you're at the sweet spot of like a, a business that should exist and really robustly is being well thought out in terms of how it's being built out but you've also been really thoughtful about how you packaged and you've worked closely with Malini on this in the venture design stage how do you think about packaging i'll definitely say that i was quite lucky being in Founders Factory Africa and having tremendous minds around me why i say that is because they would pick out what was important and what I needed to focus on from a packaging and a messaging perspective. And, you know, these are points that were game changers. These are areas of focus that for me, even, even having been uh, within the environment for so many years, were not necessarily that obvious. So this, this really brought about this aspect of the amazing talent that resides within Founders Factory Africa and the ability for founders to be able to tap onto that in order to package their businesses correctly to investors. It surprises me even up to now when I speak to other investors who point out something that is of importance in how I'm packaging the investment opportunity. And I recall months ago when someone like Mel raise the same point. So it's truly profound just having strong minds around to package correctly. Yeah. And just again, even as you were talking, just how different packaging for that audience is to building a product for essentially the people you'll serve ultimately with this thing you're building and how those are two things that should be happening together. All right. All right, man. You are so much to unpack. Can't wait for future episodes because we're just scratching the surface. Thank you so much for making episode two of the Secret Source podcast a a joy to <laughs> to be a part of, but also hopefully a joy to listen to. A big thank you to our guest, of course, Malini Hutton, our head of venture design at Founders Factory Africa. Paramani Mbata of Nginga Global. Uh, that's uh, Nginga is problem in Isizulu. Also. Which is my mother tongue, but it also makes sense because you're a product guy, and that's what products, good products, do solve problems, right? Right. All right, man. Well, thank you so so much for being with us, and Squeezy Sachi Dembo, founder and CEO of Risk Block, and of course, former colleague. I must shout that out too, Paramani, former colleague. But remember, always family. Guys, don't leave, eh? Never. Seriously, thank you so much for hanging out and sharing so candidly and openly. 
Thank you. Cheers. Mojo, brother. This is Andy Limasugu signing out. Thanks for listening.